Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. And happy Father's Day. There's a familiar story in the Bible that doubles as the craziest job application ever. Here's First Pres Executive Director Chris Pan with today's sermon. Okay, great to see everybody connecting here in the sanctuary. Hope you guys typed your answers in in the chat. Uh, good morning, I'm Chris Pan. I'm the Executive Director of the church. Uh, our meeting question for the day was, what's your favorite chip or snack? Uh, the church's office manager, Leslie Paez, her favorite chip or snack are Flaming Hot Cheetos. Uh, if you do not know what Flaming Hot Cheetos are, apparently they've um, been voted America's favorite snack for three years in a row. They are um, like Cheetos, but Flaming Hot. Uh, this is not a product endorsement because uh, this is not healthy food, and I, like, goodness knows what this does to your body, but um, uh, I recently learned about uh, the origin story of Flaming Hot Cheetos, and it's a fascinating story, and so if you came to church today hoping, I wish I knew more about Flaming Hot Cheetos, today's your lucky day, uh, I'm going to tell you about Flaming Hot Cheetos. Um, <laughs> uh, as we go through our sermon today, ask yourself these two questions. Uh, what is God saying to me, and what does he want me to do about it? What is God saying to me, what does he want me to do about it? Uh, will you join me in prayer now? Heavenly Father, may you speak to us now. Uh, we invite your Holy Spirit into this space and this time, into every home uh, where people are worshiping with us today. Uh, may we hear you. May we be attentive to you and to what you are doing in our world and what you are doing in us. We pray this in Jesus' strong name and all God's children say, amen. Uh, Richard Montañez uh, grew up in a migrant labor camp um, outside L.A. in the 1970s, and he was the youngest of 11 children, and he dropped out of middle school. Uh, he ends up getting a job as a janitor at the Frito-Lay plant in Rancho Cucamonga, California, uh, and he worked there for more than 10 years, and he noticed while working at Frito-Lay that uh, they didn't make any snacks that were uh, targeted to people who liked spicy foods, people like Latinos and Asians. And so one day, there was a bunch of uncheesed Cheetos that were rejected coming off the line. And so he takes a giant uh, garbage bag, and he fills it up, and he takes it home. And he and his wife start experimenting on these Cheetos, putting uh, you know, dried, spicy salsa on it. And his friends and family loved it so much that, uh, that Richard decides that he needs to tell uh, his bosses at Frito-Lay. And so he looks up the number of the CEO in his company directory. Uh, and he calls the CEO, but not of Frito-Lay, of PepsiCo, which is the multi-billion dollar global company that owns Frito-Lay. And the CEO's executive assistant gets the call, uh, and it's someone you know, who wanted to speak to the CEO. So she asks Richard, you know, who do you work for, where do you work? And Richard says, I work in California at Frito-Lay. And Patty goes, oh, you're the president of California operations. Uh, and Richard goes, no, 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 I work at the Rancho Cucamonga plant. And she says, oh, you're the senior vice president of the plant. And he says, no, no. Uh, so she says, you know, oh, are you in sales or research or product development? And he says, no, I'm the janitor. Uh, and Patty says she almost fell out of her chair, but she puts the call through to the CEO. Uh, and the CEO picks up the call and says, so I hear you have an idea for me. Uh, Frito-Lay now has a Flaming Hot version of every single one of their chips. Flaming Hot Doritos, Flaming Hot Lays, Flaming Hot Funyuns. Uh, Richard Montañez worked for Frito-Lay for 40 years, and he rose from the ranks of being a janitor to become the vice president of marketing for PepsiCo. Uh, our Bible passage today is about David and Goliath. 
And we're so familiar with the story of David and Goliath that we forget how absurd it is, just how absolutely ridiculous this story is, how weird and unexpected it is when a janitor comes up with a billion-dollar product line, or how crazy it is when a teenage shepherd fights a killer giant. Uh, it reminds us about how God thinks about power. And it's very different than the way we think about power in the world. Um, last week, Pastor Dan spoke about the selection of David as the next king of Israel. And David was a shepherd. He was the youngest of eight brothers. Uh, and God chose David to be king because of his character, not because of any external characteristics. But after David's anointed, he goes back to being a shepherd because Israel already has a king named Saul. Uh, so David's taking care of sheep, and he's playing music on the side as a musician in Saul's court. At the time, Israel is at war with the Philistines. And so these two armies are camped at opposite sides of a battlefield. And these are the days of representative single combat, where each side would choose a single champion. And that champion would battle, and the, the, the winner would determine the outcome. Uh, and the Philistines have chosen their champion. It's Goliath, nine feet tall. Uh, he's got a bronze helmet. He's wearing armor. That The armor itself weighs 125 pounds. He's got a javelin and a sword and a spear. Uh, and he comes out and he taunts the Israelites. It says this in 1 Samuel 17. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. What is the response of King Saul and the entire Israelite army to this challenge? When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Can I pause here and just say, uh, you know, I think it's okay to be terrified and deeply shaken. Uh, Goliath is a killer giant. Uh, and it's okay to face, to, to tremble in the face of daunting challenges. You know, I don't think the Israelites are cowardly. I think they're normal. I think it's a perfectly appropriate response uh, to be terrified and terribly shaken in the face of this challenge. Uh, we are emerging from a global pandemic that is like nothing the world has seen in 100 years. Uh, and a whole lot of other stuff happened last year, too. Uh, and I know that for many of you, uh, people in this congregation, uh, the pandemic was not the biggest thing that you had to deal with last year. That You had personal or family challenges uh, as well that you have had to navigate through. Uh, and it's okay if you spent uh, some of the last year being terrified and uh, deeply shaken. Um, that's an appropriate response. Uh, it's okay if you're still terrified and deeply shaken. Uh, that was the reaction of every single person in Israel. Uh, so it's okay. Let me just say that now. It's the reaction of everyone in Israel except one, uh, but we'll get there. All of Israel is terrified, and no one responds to uh, Goliath for 40 days. Twice a day, Goliath would come out and challenge the Israelites, and for 40 days, this is what happened. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. No one goes and fights Goliath for 40 days. And that's not how representative single combat is supposed to work. You're not supposed to just not send somebody. Um, and so imagine the, sh the fear and the shame, the humiliation, the embarrassment of the Israelites uh, cowering before Goliath, cowering before this challenge. Morning and evening, twice a day for 40 days, no one goes and rises to this challenge. 
And the wait goes on for so long that David's father sends David uh, to go deliver food to the, David's three eldest brothers who are in the army and camped uh, at the battle. That's why David shows up on this day. He's not a, in the army. He's not a soldier. He is a food delivery person. David comes wandering into camp, delivering food for his brothers, and he sees Goliath, and he says, who's this guy? And David's older brother, Eliab, responds in typical older brother fashion. But when David's older brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? Eliabia demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. I love this touch in this biblical passage. Uh, If you think the Bible is full of stories of superhuman heroes, man, the Bible is full of stories of real people living real life with real life family dynamics. If you thought David's older brother was going to say, oh, welcome, younger brother. I know you are glorious with the sling. Army, let us send David to go battle the giant. Man, that's not what works. David's older brother is like, get out of here, you pest. You're embarrassing me in front of my friends. This is so, like, uh, typical. And if you have any doubt that David is a teenage boy, his response is, what did I do? I'm just asking a question. If you have siblings or kids, it's so wonderfully relatable. And it frames just how ludicrous it is that David's going to go fight Goliath. Even his older brother doesn't respect him. So David leaves his brother, and he wanders over Saul, the king of Israel. And he says this, Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine impossible in. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine, too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Richard Montañez is a janitor. Uh, When he calls the CEO of one of the biggest companies in the world and says, I have an idea. And David is a part-time shepherd playing music gigs on the sides and doing food delivery when he wanders up to the king of Israel and says, I've got an idea. Send me to fight the Philistine. Send me to fight that killer giant. This is crazy. It's absurd. And Saul recognizes this is absurd. He says, don't be ridiculous. You're a kid. You're not qualified. And David, in this like, world's craziest job interview, uh, replies to Saul's assessment with, well, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Uh, <laughs> like, how is this an answer? Um, David, what makes you qualify to, kill, uh, to battle this killer giant? Well, I'm glad you asked. I've been, uh, I have lots of relevant experience as a shepherd, and I have lots of transferable skills. Um, <laughs> we're so used to this story that uh, we forget how crazy it is. Richard Montagnier, what makes you qualify to pitch ideas and invent a product line for a billion-dollar company? Well, I'm the janitor. Uh, You know, I do hiring for the church, and when I interview a candidate for a job, I'll ask, what are your qualifications for this job? And no one yet has answered, well, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Uh, And not only has this not happened, but if it did happen, I don't think my response would be, all right then, you're hired. (laughs) 
and may the Lord be with you. Uh, the Bible's absurd, and it's absurd because it turns on its head all of our expectations about how the world is supposed to work. Uh, fancy Harvard MBAs are supposed to be the ones inventing product lines, not the janitor. And if you want to defeat a killer giant, you send another killer giant. You don't send a teenage shepherd. Uh, but God works in our world in a very different way. And he has a very different understanding of how power works in our world. 1 Corinthians 1 reads as follows. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame, shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Uh, I had this whole example uh, in my sermon about how sending a shepherd to battle a killer giant is like sending a shepherd to go play in the NBA playoffs because uh, those guys are also really tall. And when I told Aaliyah, my wife, she was like, no, that's, you're mixing metaphors. It's a non sequitur. And I was like, exactly. It is as ludicrous to send a teenage shepherd to go play in the NBA playoffs as it is to send a teenage shepherd to battle a killer giant when the slavery of the entire nation is at stake. But that's exactly what God does. He chooses the foolish to shame the wise, the weak to shame the powerful. He chooses the low and despised. God chooses the things that are not. In other words, he chooses us. There are hundreds and thousands of skilled warriors in the Israelite army, but God says, no, 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 I want him, that little guy, that little teenage shepherd. Uh, and over and over again, I think we think uh, we're not strong enough, we're not smart enough, we're not attractive enough, we're not talented enough, we're not skinny enough, we're not brave enough, we're not normal enough, we're not Christian enough, we're not good enough. And God chooses the things that are not. Over and over again, God chooses us. Can you think of some people or groups of people today in our world that are low and despised, weak, foolish? I can think of plenty. And God chooses the things that are not. And I'm glad to count myself among their number. God chooses David he chooses the things that are not. And even though David may not have been qualified, he was prepared. God had prepared David. David tells Saul that he's a shepherd and he's defeated lions and bears. And David was prepared because he met challenges day in and day out when he's all by himself in the wilderness. And I'm sure that after David beat the first lion, he didn't sit back and think, well, I'm glad that's done and nothing bad will ever happen to me again. No. After the lion came the bear. And after the bear came more lions and bears. And after the lions and bears came the killer giant. And after the killer giant came all kinds of other challenges that David had to meet throughout his life. And so it is with us. It has been a challenging year, over and over again. But if we think that all the challenges are behind us and that now nothing bad will ever happen again, I'm not sure that's how it works. Life is challenging. And I think that each challenge prepares us for the next challenge. But again, not in the way that we normally think. The challenges don't prepare us for the next challenge because we get stronger. 
The challenges prepare us for the next challenge because it forces us, they force us to depend upon God. David defeated lions and bears, but he didn't go up to Saul and say, these hands defeated lions and bears, and these hands will defeat that Philistine. Just as Corinthians says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. David boasts in the Lord. David tells Saul, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. The Lord, the Lord rescued me. The hero of this story, of all the stories in the Bible, the hero of our personal story is the Lord. The secular version of David and Goliath is the plucky underdog, you know, overcomes the odds and defeats the giants. That is not this story. The Bible story about David and Goliath is about the Lord acting, the Lord rescuing, the Lord saving. This isn't the story of David versus Goliath. This is the story of Goliath versus God. And if that's the story, the odds look very different. Pastor Dan mentioned this quote by Pastor Rich War- Rick Warren a few weeks back, uh, but it's worth repeating. Rick Warren said, we spend a lot of time telling God how big our problems are. We should start telling our problems how big our God is. David testified to how God rescued him in the past, and he had faith that God would show up and rescue him again. And can we think back over the past year, over the many years in the past, and remember all the times that God has rescued us, and can we have faith that God's not running out of miracles anytime soon? God is, David is the only one in Israel who understood that the battle wasn't his to win or lose, it was the Lord's. And that's exactly what David tells Goliath. David walks out to the battlefield and tells Goliath, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. David wanders out to meet Goliath without a sword or a spear or a javelin or even armor. He walks out in the name of the Lord. David tells Goliath, the Lord will conquer you so that everyone will know that the Lord rescues his people and the battle is the Lord's. And the battle itself is exactly three verses. David runs out, uses his sling to throw a rock at Goliath's forehead, hits him in the forehead, Goliath falls face down, uh, the battle is over. <laughs> uh, Hollywood took the, the book The Hobbit, which is like 290 pages, and made like three, three and a half hour movies out of that one book. This climactic battle, the Bible tells you in four sentences. Uh, because when the battle is the Lord's, the outcome is not in doubt. The point's not the battle, the point is whose battle it is. After the battle, there's this remarkable scene uh, that reinforces the absurd way in which God thinks about power in the world. Jonathan, the son of King da- uh, Saul, gives to David his own royal robes and his royal armor. It says this, When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe he was wearing, and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. Jonathan is the son of King Saul. 
Jonathan is the heir to the throne. And for all intents and purposes, David is a challenge to Jonathan's power and his claim to the throne. But Jonathan is not concerned about protecting his own power. Jonathan is a friend to David. He loves him as his own soul. Jonathan takes off his own royal robes and he gives it to David. Then he takes off his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt and he gives it to David. Is there anyone you love like that? Anyone you love as your own soul? Power, not to be grasped, not to be hoarded, not to dominate others, but power to be given away to bless others, to bless someone else. Power in weakness for the sake of love. Power to bestow a gift on someone, to value someone that they don't deserve and they can't repay. You know what that's called? That's called grace. Grace, a gift you don't deserve, can't repay. In the book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul describes his call working among the people of Corinth. Paul says this, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For God says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. We have spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. There is no restriction in our affections, but only in yours. In return, I speak to you as children. Open wide your hearts also. Open wide your hearts. What an amazing request. Open wide your hearts. What an amazing statement about the posture that we take in the world. The posture we take to others. The posture that God takes towards us. When I reflect upon the Bible, I often think about who do I identify in the story? Uh, And in this passage, uh, who do I identify with? David, brave and uh, full of faith. Jonathan, a good uh, good friend and generous and uh, willing to give away power. Eliab, a mean older brother. Um, As I thought about this passage, I realized I most identified with all those Israelite soldiers who were terrified and deeply shaken. Uh, I'm honest. I'm not as brave as uh, David. I'm not as generous as Jonathan. I'm not as tall as Goliath. Uh, I'm one of those unnamed soldiers, um, trembling, cowering, who knows that I'm not going out there to fight Goliath. I'm waiting. I can't win that battle. I can't save myself, let alone all these other people. I need someone else to do that for me. I need a savior. Uh, David shows up, and he's used by God to save the people. And then 14 generations later, David's great, 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 14 generations, great grandson is Jesus, who shows up again to save the people. And Jesus is like Jonathan. He's the son of the king. Garbed in royal robes, Jesus is in very nature God himself. He gives it all up, all the power and the royal robes. He takes them off to clothe himself in human weakness for the sake of love, for the sake of his love for us. That's how Jesus uses his, his power. He's born in a manger. And like David, he's not a warrior or the hero that people expected. He's a carpenter from the sticks. He's homeless. He hangs out with prostitutes and sinners. Jesus, the savior of the world. Jesus offers us grace, 
a gift that we don't deserve and can't repay. He dies and is raised to life so that we can be reconciled to God and be called children of the King. And so as Paul writes, open wide your hearts. We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. I tell you now, now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. Amen? Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Let's take a few moments now to just come into God's presence. What is God saying to you? What does he want you to do about it? Open wide your hearts to God and what he is saying to you. God, we open wide our hearts to you. And we open wide our hearts to our neighbor, to those in our lives. God, we know the battle is yours. The battle is not ours to fight. The battle is yours. We thank you that you are victorious. We thank you that you have provided a way for us. We thank you that Jesus is victorious on the cross and is victorious over death and despair. For those of you who have never made a commitment to God, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. And so if you would join me in this prayer. God, I'm sorry for the things I've done in my life. Thank you for making a way in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for me. Please come into my life. Be my God. Be my Savior. If you've prayed that prayer, while people's eyes are still closed, if you don't mind just raising your hand, I'd love to just see and pray for you now. And if you're online, if you've prayed that prayer, please feel free to click the um, button in the chat pane now. Thank you, Lord. You rejoice. You are the victor. You are our hope. You are our strength. You can put your hands down now. Thank you so much. God, we give you the glory. May you be glorified now and forever. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ and all God's people say, amen. Now please remain standing and receive this final benediction. May the love of God our Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. God bless you and have a nice week. Like Chris said in his sermon, life is challenging. When you face those difficulties, big or small, remember, the battle belongs to the Lord. If you need to catch up on or re-listen to previous services, you can find past sermons on our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Pres sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. In-person worship has resumed, but in limited capacity, and there are two live services at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. If you'd like to participate, you'll need to sign up through the website on a weekly basis. And both services will be streamed live on the church websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Continue to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, daily devotionals, and registration for in-person worship. And if you have any questions or needs, you can always reach the church through the website or just call 808 808- 
532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prayers, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2021 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.